0: Uh, so we are in Matthew 16. We were talking about verses 24 to 28, um, and so you have a sheet. And we did most of page one, but then we did. I tried to, I tried to pack in the end about suke and probably didn't give a, give you enough opportunity to really think through that. Uh, but maybe we need to read it again just to get context. Jesus said to his disciples, "Somebody want to read it." If anyone would come after me.
1: Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom.
0: All right, very good. So remember, this is in the context Peter Peter makes a good confession. Peter denies. Jesus says, uh, get behind me, Satan, because Peter makes a confession that he's the Christ. But then, as I said last week, the kind of Christ that Peter wants is different than the one that Jesus is going to be, which is that he's going to suffer and die and rise on the third day, right back in verse 21. So so that's the context, and now he's going to broaden it out from not just Peter, but to all the disciples there, about taking up, denying oneself, we talked a lot about that, and then um, taking up a cross, which I think we talked, have we talked about that yet? Uh, Nope, not quite yet. Uh, And and follow me. Uh, So... What does it mean, to follow? What did we say? It's not just doing what Jesus d- does, like a rabbi to a student. But to follow him is what? To participate in all the things that he gives, is what I said. And you can see that if you read all the notes there. It's to participate in his suffering and death. It's to receive from him all that he wants to give. Uh, it does require breaking ties, letting the dead bury the dead, for example, as we heard. Um, so it's, it's bigger than just... I think we talked about this last week, but it's worth... Rem, uh, re, some of you weren't here. And it's worth repeating that cross-bearing isn't just suffering. That's sometimes how it's used. Well, that's just my cross, you know, that I have to bear. But it's essentially suffering for the sake of what you believe. Because you are um, a Christian, because you follow after the Christ. You believe in Him. And, and that, that's essentially so it's the suffering of faith it's the suffering of the faithful because they're faithful so i think that's a helpful it doesn't mean that you don't suffer in other ways and that that might not challenge your faith as well right like like the despair of someone who's you know who gets a devastating diagnosis that they're terminally ill for example you know you can imagine it's easy to respond to that like well does god hate me you know what have i done to deserve this and uh, so that sort of situation is more cross-like, isn't it? Because your faith is being challenged by what you're experiencing. Just say, no, God actually loves me. He's going to take care of me. How do I know that? Jesus died for me. Following so far? Okay. It's the difficult burden
2: of walking on
0: a straight and narrow. Yeah. yeah I mentioned that in the sermon this morning about the narrow gate, trying to pass through the narrow gate. Just in passing, I just threw it out as an expression, but um, but that, that is how Jesus describes a camel through the eye of, a, of the needle. However you want to discount that, whether you want to think of it as like a sewing needle or you want to think of it as that little, that little opening in the wall in Jerusalem that they called the needle, <laughs> which is what I think the scholars would argue today. Uh, yeah, a camel can't go through that either. So. I think
2: there's one of those in Bryce Canyon too.
0: Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah. The needle? The sandstone. Threading Stone's the needle? Threading the needle, yeah, yeah. Um, but he also says that he's the door to the sheepfold, right? And there's a lot of other ways you could get in, but that's not the right way in. The way in is through Christ, right? And actually, I heard an expression similar to that yesterday, talking about marriage. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could enter into marriage. <laughs> um, but the, the right way is to, uh, how, did, how did he put it in the presentation? Um, to separate, to cleave, um, and, then, and then to live in intimacy together. But a lot of people start with the intimate part, and then eventually they might separate from their folks. And then only later do they cleave, meaning commit to marriage, right? Cleave to one another. Um, but the way that the Bible presents it is you is first you separate from your folks. And then you cleave to one another. And then you share all the things that come with that. That's the right way in, yeah, to marriage. So uh, what are we talking about? OK, so verse 25. Whoever desires, to, this is what we kind of got hung up on. Whoever desires to save his life uh, we'll lose it. Is that what yours says? I'm using a different translation. But life, that's how it's usually translated. The Greek word is suke, from which we get like psyche, like psychic or psychology, right? Which we, when we think of psychology, we think about the study of like the mind, right? And, and the ways the mind works. Um, but the word in Greek is more broad than that. And I gave you some, it's connected first to the Old Testament word nephesh, meaning breath the Hebrew word nefesh. So, suke is the breath of life, at least from the Bible's perspective. So, it's, it, it can just refer to life in a sense of like you're breathing. It can refer to it in a sense of like your, the life spirit, or your soul, you might say, if you're a Greek. Um, but, but really, in the New Testament, more often than not, it means the whole person, by which we use those, those Aristotelian, those Greek terms body, soul, and spirit. Have you heard that? Or heart, mind, and soul. There's, there's different ways to describe the whole person. The Greeks tried to s- separate you into pieces, parts. Or they, and that isn't, that's not fair to them, actually. They were trying to describe the person from the different perspectives. They weren't really trying to break the person into pieces. And then I think we got hung up on talking about death, didn't we? And what happens to you when you die? Do you get broken up into pieces? Soul, body life and it seems in a sense though right because your body's in the grave where 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 does your soul reside at that point if you want to use that term kind
2: of in the crypt waiting
0: room. yeah the bible talks in terms of sleeping that you're asleep um and then the obviously life as far as like your breath i mean your heart's not ticking and you're not breathing so so you're like you're actually kind of going backwards a step from what adam was right Because God took the clay, he formed it in the man, and then he breathed in the man, and the man became a living being, right? And then, so what happens when you die is, like, the breath comes out, and all you are is the the clay. I did this with the kids in class upstairs, seventh grade. I I mentioned Gumby, and they had no idea who I was talking about. I'm like, what? that made me feel so old. <laughs> I
2: was like, need, to, need to update your characters. <laughs>
0: What's a clay figure that... that? So then I used Pinocchio, and they knew Pinocchio. It's not clay, it's wood, but they had the right idea.
2: What about the Bible where it says when you die, you're chained, twinkling
0: of an eye? Yeah. So that's where we got... I think that's where we ended up, actually. I said, now we have to talk about time. Is that where we ended? Yeah. And... Uh, the problem is, is that you're probably all Newtonian physicists. I'm sorry, but Newton was like 300 years ago, right? Is that right? 17 something. Newton. Um, actually, you want to be more Einstein today, as far as relativist meaning perspectives. Okay. So, uh, oh no, oh no markers. It's been so long. Now there's no markers. They're all gone there. <laughs> Uh I have some hinders there, but... oh well. Alright, I'm just gonna have to use my hands. I was ready No you don't.
2: Wow. Well
0: we'll do our best. Alright. So here's here's how life looks. Right? We'd say there's what? Begin. Sorry, it's so small. And I'll try to write bigger. Right? Or we'll say birth. Right? And that. Okay, good so far. Um, what does Jesus say about himself? I am the Alpha. Alpha and the Omega. Omega. By the way, that's just the Greek alphabet, like A to Z. Yeah. Beginning and the end. I'm the beginning and the end. Uh Uh-huh. And so when we look at, like, Jesus, what happens? The end, the cross, right? Was it? No. No, because it's the resurrection, right? Right. So Jesus keeps going. (laughs) And actually, all those who die in him, they keep going, too. Then you have these other funny expressions in the Bible, like St. Paul says that Jesus Christ was crucified here in time. We'll say this is about what? We'll just say it's about 30 AD. Somewhere in there, 33 maybe, I don't know. Doesn't really particularly matter, although we're, we know, we have a pretty good idea it's somewhere in there because of the Pontius' pilots and the Caesars and all those guys. So he died about 30, 33 AD, but then Paul says, no, he was crucified from the foundation of the world. So now we have to keep going this way and we're going back to when there was nothing. <laughs> and even before there was, was an earth, I'm sorry, this is going to be a horrible drawing of the earth. Before there was even an earth, Jesus had already died for the sins of the people. Now, how do you figure that one out? He's the beginning and the end. He, was, he died for, for your sins even before you were born, even before your mother even knew, before she was even born. Uh, very confusing, yeah if you're only in Newtonian and you only think in terms of what 12 3 6 9 12 3 6 you're stuck in this spiral with hours and seconds and minutes, right? And everything's about tick-tock, tick-tock. Time keeps marching on. But from God's perspective, Jesus being the son of God from eternity as we confess, right? But born of Mary in time. Jesus is both is it, Human nature and his eternal, his eternal Godhead—they're uh, they're actually different in that regard, right? Was he man from, from forever? No, he was born and very, very much in time, right? Did he die forever? Not really, from our perspective. No, he died very particularly at that time. From his perspective, though, he
2: came to us and took on our flesh.
0: From his perspective, that was the plan from the, before the beginning. Even that was always the plan. Uh, that's and that's helpful too to remember that um, you know Jesus dying for the sin of the world isn't like isn't like the do-over for Adam's mistake and you know did God know yes He knew um, but God gave the tree hmm. nah, why does He give the law to show us our sin our need for salvation our need to trust in Him alone right and so Adam could Adam have lived apart from apart from Jesus. Can anyone live apart from Jesus? Almost
2: like the end game of his plan
0: The end game was known from before the beginning. It
2: was there to start.
0: Yeah, the only problem is from our perspective, it didn't spiral out like we wanted it to. Oh, my. Sorry. He's having a good time. So, so we, like Monty Python, God, sits up in the heavens, right? <laughs> They're like from uh, Holy Grail. Yeah, and he's got the beard and everything. He's really impressive. But, but it's like all you peons down here, you know, whatever. That's not, that's not your God. Your God enters into time, very particularly. To, and of course, goes back into eternity. But he was always in eternity. But here's the thing. He also still comes to us in his, through his gifts, through his word and sacrament, right? So we say that there's even a him. God himself is present, right? You know that one? Uh, but in time now, particularly for you, but also in eternity, which is then why we say this really confusing thing with saints and angels and the whole host of heaven. We laud and magnify you, right? The, the Sanctus every week. Like, well, wait a minute. That's the preface. And then we sing the songtus. the song of Isaiah and the song of revelation put together, which is confusing in and of itself. And then we say that we're with the saints and the angels. And by the way, the saints, including those who have died in the Lord already, those who live now, who will die in the Lord, those who come, that will die in the Lord, who aren't even born. They're all gathered before the throne, before the Lamb, to receive His gifts. Here, now, in time, and there in eternity. If you're Einstein, this is fine. It's just a matter of vantage point. Are you viewing it from now, TikTok, in time? Or are you outside of time and you're viewing it from the perspective of eternity? And if you're God, you're seeing the whole thing all put together once, smashed together, if you like, all at once, beginning and end life. That's why don't be worried about tomorrow, because guess what? God already knows. That's already done. And it's all good. And he
2: wants it to be a surprise.
0: I know. We don't like that. We, got plan. we want to have our plans and set it, set it all straight. Uh, so this is the problem to answer. That I'm trying to answer the question, aren't I? to answer the question, what about saying in the twinkling of an eye, right? So when Jesus says you sleep, you sleep. Problem with our sleep is that we often wake up and then we look at the clock, <laughs> right? Or, or we dream and whatever. We have a sense of the passage of time, even while we sleep. Some of that sunrise, sunset probably, right? Um, but for the dead, they die. They, they don't sense that passage of time because they're already in eternity already. From our perspective from below, they're laying there in the grave. From their perspective, they're already in the resurrection living life eternal. And that's kind of maybe hard to get our head around, but that's, that's what the New Testament teaches. And Einstein helped us out, actually. He just said, just look at it from a different perspective. Look at it from the, from, from the eternal life already. Yeah, so twinkling of an eye, I mean, it's like a it's like, it's like that, that wonderful deep sleep you have and then somebody grabs you by the arm and wakes you up and, you're like, and you have no idea how long it took. That does happen sometimes, doesn't it? Where you sleep so soundly that you don't even realize how long you've been sleeping. Imagine it like that. And from God's perspective, tomorrow, today, you know, a thousand years from now, a million, millennia from now, um, it, it's, it's all now for him. <laughs> and for those who die, actually it's all now too. At that moment. Isn't that something? Is
2: there a reference somewhere in the Bible where a day is...
0: A thousand years. A yeah. thousand years. Yeah, it's usually used to justify all sorts of nonsense talking about creation. Um, yeah, I know God, well, you know, I know he said six days, but that means 60 million years because, you know, a day is a thousand years for God. So that means a day could mean anything. Well, have
2: like, to our scientific findings.
0: I know. It's really the misuse of the scripture and the misuse of science. So... That's another well, that's story. Mainly, though,
1: because we're always trying to <coughs> take something that's uh, holy in Scripture mm-hmm. and put it into our minds. Yeah,
0: and, uh, figure it out. I
1: can't remember what, what context it was written in, but I was talking about um, the beginning of the world. You know, in Genesis, I think it's Luther or someone else, but speaking about, I must <laughs> not say, made in the image of man. We, we keep thinking of it as our human structure. But, ah, I think it was actually, Pastor will pass your best with it, they say that we're made in, God, in God's image, spiritual, by like holy and, and uh, righteous, mm-hmm. not in this perspective. Like, we don't have any idea to understand the omnipotent God's
0: right. image. Right. No one knows that we've never seen it. And since he passed by, it's not like we saw the back of a man,
1: it was his spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's what the new Adam and baptism gives us. Is right. this. And so we keep trying to put we keep bringing God to our level hmm. so without thinking and realizing
0: what He's bringing us to so His. Yeah. That's what the, the passage of life and time does bring us to. Right.
1: Um, so it's always funny, I'll have these conversations up with uh, former church I used to go with, and that's one thing you know, it sounds like we're always just trying to make everything understandable for our mm. little brains. You know, even when I'm right. 16 to now when I'm 30, and right. it's like, this is so.
0: That came up this week. Yeah, it came up this week uh, again in in religion class because we're going through creation there. And um, they talked about, or they they wanted to know, what is this? Most of the kids in the class aren't Lutheran. There's only one, actually. And then most of them don't go to church either, even if they're nominally Christian. So anyway, uh, they're like, well, what is this about God as three persons? What are you talking about? I mean, they didn't have any awareness of it, right? So then we talked about, how God reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. And they're like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but that's not, the, that's not the, the point isn't to try to make sense of it. The point is to receive it, uh, especially in, you know, the Son of God as, as Savior, right? I mean, that's, why has God revealed his Father? So that we would see not only Jesus as as his Son, but that in Jesus we have sonship, right? And that that, that to dwell, uh, to be a Christian is to become part of uh, you might just say, God's family, right? But to, to dwell within the, the life of the Holy Trinity, which is a life of love, actually. But, and then, of course, then the kids, their, their eyes just glaze over. Like, What are you talking about? Because it comes off, I mean, it's theology, but it's also philosophy, it's pretty complicated. And so in the end, you, just, you say, this is how God reveals himself. This is what we believe, because this is what he tells us. This is how he shows himself to be to us.
2: It's like, when He created us, everything was perfect. Yeah. messed it up. Yeah. And then he sent his son to recognize
0: that. Yeah. But he had already sent his son even before. Huh. Yeah. What, yeah. So, yeah, trying to get our head around that is hard. And, and that's why what I'm kind of cautioning you for, it's a little hobby horse of mine, so you just have to bear with it. But um, speaking of, of the nature of the one who dies in the Lord and trying to say more than actually the Bible tells us, I think is a little dangerous too. So let's just speak in the way the Bible says. He's, he's asleep, he's resting in Jesus, uh, he or she. Um, and, or the twinkling of an eye, that Thessalonians, I think, first Thessalonians passage, beautiful, right? That for the dead, it's, it's just a heartbeat, or not even a heartbeat, it's just a moment. And uh, they will rise with the Lord as we will too, to be, with, to be caught up with the Lord, as Paul says. And that's, so it's meant to comfort us, not to drive us into like worry and wonder and like, how can I believe any of this? Because it doesn't make sense. Same with six-day creation, by the way. Uh, not, I, I, denying six-day creation is not the same as denying Jesus, actually. Um, the hang-ups that people have with science is uh, it's probably worth kind of teasing that out. But that's us be another class for another time. Because it's not this text. <laughs> All right. Suke Life. Um, then I said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever de- loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, to save the word there is zozo, which is to, which literally means to save. But no, notice that there's a wordplay going on. So you have. Here I'm going to use the pen again. Sorry, it's so light, but Matt was so gracious to have a pen for me. So you have save, and what's the other word in the first expression? Lose. lose. And what's the next one? Whoever desires. Lose. Yeah. Lose will find, you see? So that's why we call it a paradox, because we would think save and find would go together, but it's actually, to save, you have to lose. It's upside down, right? And in order to find, you have to lose. So that's probably a better way to diagram that. But these go together, it just gets reversed. But in order to find, to have life, to save life, find life, Losing's at the center of it. Which, um, again, I call that a paradox because it's upside down. Jesus saves people, but he saves them by dying for them. Now how does that work? Right? His victory is his death. And that's, that's actually, by the way, an essential Lutheran confession. There, there are some Christians who would say that Jesus' tri- moment of triumph, his victory, is the descent into hell. Um, but for Lutherans, you go back one step It's his death upon the cross. And I would say St. Paul too. Um, So that's the the, in dogmatic terms, Ivory Tower theologians, they talk about his his humiliation and his exaltation. And so, especially in reformed circles, the exaltation begins at the descent. Actually, in some it's not even the descent, it's not till the resurrection. For Luther, and then for Lutherans who follow after him. He's, he humbles himself to the point of death, but the exaltation begins at the cross when he is lifted up. Roman Catholics
2: believe that too. Yeah, and
0: Rome that's does too. It, yeah. yeah. So it's when, when, he, when he is lifted up upon the pole, you know, like the serpent upon the pole, that's his exaltation. Well, that makes sense, actually, just aesthetically, right? He's being lifted up. But, but that's because of this paradoxical nature. It's like, how can a man dead upon a cross be actually. Forgiveness, life, salvation. It's backwards. It's upside down. It's not forgive. It's death. It's it's judgment. That's what it looks like because it's clouds and thick darkness. There's thunder and earthquakes. And I mean, it's crazy time. Um,
2: torn temple
0: curtain? Yeah, and the torn temple curtain too. Right.
2: It's interesting how this reads. It says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't see my stake in the first
0: part of the stake. You see it in the second part. Yeah. What do you think the significance think of that is? You're
2: trying to
0: save your life. You're not thinking about it. uh huh. No. So that, if it comes to you, it's, when it comes to you, it's a, it's completely about humiliation, giving up everything, right, losing it. I've got nothing. But, when it, but then on the second half, it's the losing of the life for the sake of the cross, right? Remember we talked about cross-bearing. That's the context here, um, that you find it, that you receive life. Because you find it where? Not in yourself, but in the one who saves you, right? In Jesus. That's the point. So to always look for, like, really saying look for salvation, not in the <laughs> suffering and death but of yourself, um, but in his suffering and death and the way he saves you. Hmm. So I gave you a little bit there. Jesus saves people from disease and death. So we talked about that last week. I translated it in the gospel reading. I said, you know, your faith, instead of your faith has made you well, healed you, I said your faith saves you, just to kind of prick up your ears a little bit, if you, especially if you're following along <laughs> in the hymnal. But the word there was zozo, because we were talking about it here. Um, so it can mean to bring about like salva- salvation, if you like, from sickness and death, <clears throat> Right. So physicians save you, in a way. Um, but uh, when, at least when St. Paul uses it, well, certainly in other aspects of the gospel, the saving word is used of forgiveness of sins. And when Paul talks about being saved, uh, it's always about soteria. It's, being, it's about salvation. So to be saved and salvation, those are cognates. Those are, those are the same word, just two different forms in Greek. Saved is the verb saving save to be saved salvation is the noun form That follow so they go together so be cautious about how we translate that word so here um saves it that's a good translation i think but we're going to see why maybe we got to be careful about translations here as we get going uh salvation or to be saved and salvation is limited to the relationship of man and god uh, and and to, to Jesus primarily then, and his cross. So when you read saved in Paul or salvation in Paul, he's not talking about uh, being delivered from sickness or illness. Now, when we go to verse 26, what prof? well, maybe some- read it from your translation because I have a different one. Read verse, verse 26. For what will it profit
2: a man if he gains the whole world and
1: forfeits his soul? Mm-hmm. Or what shall a man give
0: Yeah, Yeah, so notice what they did there. In verse 26, they translate it not as life, but as soul. It's the same word. Now, why? I don't actually have a good answer for that. Why shift the translation of the word? Is Is the meaning different? Is the thrust of what Jesus is talking about, is it really a different idea? Are we gaining souls now and not life? Why make that translation shift?
1: contrast the the
0: spiritual. Yeah, I think that's what they're they're trying what they're trying to set up is that what Jesus was doing here in the gospel. I think the thought is is that well, verse 26 seems like repetition of verse 25. So now what how we do do we distinguish the two? Uh, what prophet is it? And uh what are we looking to gain? I count all How's the hymn go? I count all but loss. Oh, we give thee but thine own whatever the it's in that hymn. There's a line about um it's quoting St. Paul about counting all uh, you gain what what is it if I gain the world and and I have not um, love, right? I've lost everything. Yeah. What if you there's a lot of things I could have said today, but yeah, you, you never see a hearse uh, with a U-Haul following a hearse, right? Unless you're, unless you're an Egyptian and you get buried with all your stuff, right? <laughs> for the afterlife. Uh, I saw, oh, a pastor friend of mine told me that he had a uh, parishioner die and they, he insisted that he have his Make America Great hat again, Make America Great Again hat buried with him. I'm like, I mean, talk about... Just like a brief moment in time, God willing, that we'll have those hats. But
2: the story of the wife and husband instructed her when he buries <sighs> her. She buries him to be buried with all his riches. Okay. So they asked her this, I did what he told me. I gave him a check.
0: Good luck casting it. <laughs> Uh oh, what
2: are we without soul? an Just Interesting collection of chemicals.
0: Yeah, I know, and but what is a soul without a body? We don't know that either. Right?
1: Well there's also a greatness too that God says your body will be raised. You know, that's something we
0: never mm-hmm. like, focus on, is that he,
1: he still has a place for that for us in eternity.
0: Yeah, you're not less well and this is the reason why I bring up all this stuff about death and soul and body spirit and not being separate aspects and not separate Parts of a person um, is because some people run with the Greeks then, and they go to the like the Arcade Fire song. You know, my body is a cage. You know, the, the body is a prison, prison house, and that's and that's some of the Greek philosophers viewed it that way. Uh, and then, <laughs> funny, the Greeks ended up um, going going east, and guess who else picked up on it? The Buddha. Right, talking about life being suffering and trying to escape suffering and pain. You know, escape the flesh, as we would say. And Christians kind of, uh, I think are instructed by, by the scriptures to dig deep, actually, and to get down into the flesh. Not embrace the flesh in a sense of like, succumb to all your temptations and desires, but to not become... You're not less than a body. I mean, you're, you are body, soul, spirit together. God knit you together in your mother's womb. Um, is your soul immortal and... We don't have a lot. There's some text maybe that might indicate that. But we don't really talk about the person <clears throat> apart from their body. No. And
1: that's not a bad thing, too. And that's the one
0: great thing. Mm? About, uh, not, that's a great thing for me in
1: our confessions is kind of realizing how we just twist sin sin um, so constantly into something. Yeah. Know, we're so extreme in our thoughts. Ah. You know, Is,
0: right. is without him. You know, hmm. and yeah, and how does this play out? I mean, I tried to help you a little bit with the sermon today on that. I don't know if it was helpful or not, but the idea that you know trusting in God doesn't mean you're you're just a moron and you you don't take care of your finances and you don't work hard, and you know you don't make any attempt. you just sit and sit watching Netflix all day, you know Netflix and chill, right I mean how you that's not going to provide for your family. So, and so then the confession is, actually, that's how God made us. He made us to work, like Adam, to tend the garden. He gave Adam what he needed, the skills, abilities, whatever, to do that work, to name the creatures and to care for them, to have dominion over the creation. Uh, God made us to do that, to be that way. The only reason we want to Netflix and chill and not work is because we don't want to be who God made us to be. <laughs> because we, don't, we, we have such a hard time finding joy in our work. Because a lot of times it's a sludge grind. What what are all the words? You know. So
2: when Adam was in the garden, that was the only time unemployment was hundred <laughs>
0: percent. That's right. Or employment. Orange, County, where it's less than three <laughs> percent. Pretty close to being in the garden, then, huh? <laughs> no, that's funny. Yeah. No. Uh, so so our problem is it's not that it's not that we don't do all those things and we don't work and we don't use our bodies. Um, this. I told you I was at a um, retreat on marriage and sexuality, and that's another place where Christians, some Christians, have done a great disservice in talking about, you know, the our, our the, the sexual nature of our bodies as being somehow like taboo. We can't talk about it in church, and we can't encourage it actually, like marriage and family, um, and actually delighting in one another uh, physically, intimately, and uh, you know that's that's a problem actually because what happens when you kind of always refer to the negative? It just sounds like a prohibition, right? Like, don't have sex until you're married. That's all you hear at church. You're focusing on on you know, law, too. Yeah. And what does the law get you? Paul says it increases trespasses. It's no wonder when you tell somebody to take a chastity vow that actually, statistically, they end up being less chaste <laughs> because you tell them they can't. And you're just like, stop, 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 stop. So this is a bigger deal in our country. I'm sorry I interrupted. but This was an Australian speaking. And he's like, we didn't have this whole sexual revolution thing like you did in the U.S., because we weren't puritanical to g- begin with, or straight laced, or whatever. We we're already a little bit more. They uh, well, yeah. we were, we were all convicts. We <laughs> <exploring. laughs> you call them all criminals. That's funny. Australia. Yeah. No, but it's yeah, no. That's true. That's their history. Yeah, that's true. Um, but there is there is a point to that. Is that we want to encourage good behavior and be like be like you two, always trying to set people up, getting them connected, help, making marriage as easy as possible for them. <laughs> right. One of those things should be. You've done it. You've told me about it. I did. Yeah, matchmaker. Anyway,
2: what? He's accusing us of being matchmakers. Idea what he's about.
0: Nice. I don't know what you're talking about either. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's a good thing though. And actually, you know, um, there's a lot of ways to kind of accomplish that. It could even be like more of an arranged marriage. You just put your kids in a good place with other good. Lutheran boys and girls, and see what happens, right? The things kind of play out. I went to Lutheran college, so you see what that got me? Uh, Blessings, blessings. All right, Uh, for what profit is it if he gains the whole world? So all the stuff, right? And think of Jesus' temptation, you know, with Satan too, right? Where Satan tempts him, like, all these things can be yours. But in order to do that, what do you have to give up? Who you are as the son of God, right? Just worship me. You know. What profit is it if he gains everything but loses his, his, his again, suke his, his whole person, if he loses his very life? Okay? And, or, what will a man give in exchange for his life? What can you even give for your life anyway? Do you, can you say to God, hey, breathe the breath of life into me. I, in exchange for that, I will serve you. Is that how it works? No, he gives you life. The wind blows when and where he wills. And he gives you faith to believe in him and to trust in him for salvation. Again, as a gift without, without your effort or strength or asking for it. Uh, I gave you a little... This is the top of page two now. Antal... I can never say this one. lama, lagma, is to exchange, right? In exchange for, I think... Did your translation say that too? What will man give in exchange? for his soul or in return okay um it's drawn from psalm 49 6 to 9 which expresses the seriousness of the divine judgment which takes from man his life and therefore absolutely everything so that any exchange is impossible it makes ridiculous the covetous desires of man for material possessions and entertainment and and whatever and entertainment here's the here's psalm 49 those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. Right? There's only one ransom. There's only one way to redeem his brother. There's only one way to purchase his soul from hell. <laughs> or from purgatory if you were a Roman. There's only one way. It's the death of Jesus. Right? There's only one who can redeem his brother as God God, in, in, made man who gives his life for his brother
2: and it's illuminated in the passage of the rich man yeah
0: with poor Lazarus that
2: do, he says, Go and oh that one and yeah give it away and his response is do
0: it's easier for uh, yeah that's where the easier for a rich man comes in um, to enter heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle that's the story
1: of the poor Lazarus
0: thing. Hmm. That's also helpful. Yeah, he trusted in his riches. He sumptuous, feasted sumptuously every day. Um, but then when it came to salvation, not having faith, he also didn't care for poor Lazarus, which would have been a fruit of faith, right? Um, poor Lazarus had nothing in this life, and yet he had everything in eternity. So that's the challenge of looking at wealth, really, is what it comes down to. Well, I'm rich. That means God love me. And that's a, that's a big temptation. Prosperity gospel, it's sometimes called. Or I'm poor, and that means God doesn't like me or love me, right? And Jesus' point is, actually, that's immaterial to, to that question as to whether he loves you. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if we want to dig too much into the rest, but let's do it. I know we only have a couple minutes, all right? maybe even less than a minute. Less than a minute. Um, yes, yeah, so we probably should dra- drag this out a little bit. The Son of Man will come in his glory with the Father... glory of his Father with his angels and will reward each according to his works. That seems like a big conversation, doesn't it? What do you think? You all know that works don't save you, so we could just move on, right? Except we have to actually deal with the text, right? What does it say? It says it will reward him according to his works. So what's he talking about? Isn't it Christ's works? Well, of course. Not ours. Mm. yeah especially with your run with St. Paul, is all your works are filthy uh, garments worthy only for the fire. Yeah, and that's, so I suggested to you that to translate this as reward, or what, what, is your, what does your translation say? It say reward each? Repay. Yes. Repay. Yeah, that it's like, again, this idea of like an exchange of goods, that it's a transaction. You do this, God does this. You do, God does this, you do that, back and forth. Equal scales are balanced and leveled, and you weren't—you were found <laughs> not wanting. Um, so it may be a contradiction there, but the word is usually used as God's gifting. So the word there is uh, apodosai to give over, uh, to like with the wages given in the parable Matthew 20:18. Remember the people worked all day. Some people worked all day. Some people only worked an hour. Guess what? They receive the same wage, the same reward, if you want to translate it that way. Um, so there's a there's actually a parable that helps us understand what Jesus is getting at. Also, the fruits of the vineyard, Matthew 21, 41, uses the same word. What's Matthew 21, 41? Anybody remember? I'm trying to get there too. Oh yeah. Yeah. They said to him, um, okay, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to all the vine dressers, the ones that ca- killed all the messengers or killed, rejected the messengers and then killed the son <laughs> who came? Um, he will destroy the men, wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render or give or reward, if you like, to him the fruits in their seasons. Right? So, it's, what do you do? Can vines produce fruit? by their own will? No. Fruit trees produce fruit, right? Because they're fruit trees, because that's what they do. So here the wages, again, you might say, are the rewards, are the fruit that come as a result of faith in Christ, right? So uh, blessed are the dead, St. John says, for their uh, works do follow them. You ever heard that? I think it's Revelation 19, maybe? Um, You say, well, what works follow them? All the works done in faith, right? All the, and Jesus talks about it. You know, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, in prison? And it was those works. Uh, so also works is potential. I'd say it's a potentially misleading translation as it has a sense. It's, a, it's supposed to have a sense of a natural result. He will give to each as he has done. Uh, so it's a frequent expression. And I gave you a bunch of them. Revelation, there should be an end bracket there. 2, 23 is one and then there's a whole bunch more where you can read about how um, how works are, are given so does that make sense alright so what was the last expression because I'd like to go to the next verse can we just do this last bit <clears throat> um, if he loses his own soul is to uh, oh no wait a minute Thanatos, 28. Oh, will not taste death. Some people say this was St. John. Others say it's St. Stephen, the one who won't taste death or won't experience death, who was standing there with him. Have you heard those, those things? Um, the reality is, is anyone who, who dies in the Lord, actually all the apostles, with the exception of perhaps one, <laughs> Judas, uh, will not taste death. They won't experience death in the way of, of the unbeliever. You're, there's another Jesus talks about this in another place about where he's dialoguing with the I think the Pharisees and they're, you know there's this distinction between tasting and seeing death do you ever do you remember that gospel reading it comes up in the summer sometime so there is this distinction in the bible between like fully experiencing death and just kind of witnessing it and for the christian we don't really fully experience it we just we have this momentary you know, where, where, where we go to sleep. Because we experience the resurrection. Does that follow? And that's why Christians don't grieve like others do, who have no hope. Right? So we don't even talk about the dead the same way the world does. They've passed away. They've gone to a better place. It's like, that's kind of abstract. When we say they died in the Lord and they will see the resurrection. Right? Rather than quoting Mary Baker, Baker Eddy. That's where the expression came from, passing away, by the way because she didn't believe in the resurrection. Mm, problematic expression. Um, so, yeah. So do we taste or experience death the way that anyone else does? No, because Jesus has already tasted or experienced that for us in our place. Does that follow? All right. Yeah, because we were already two weeks on these four verses, so. Now we can get to the fun one, Transfiguration. Yeah, which you have, have as a feast day every year, so you should know it pretty well. All right, let's close with a quick word of prayer, then we can depart. Uh, Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have revealed to us to be our Savior, um, we will not taste death, although we may suffer crosses in this life. We know that these crosses um, will lead us and keep us in the faith and, uh, so that on the last day, we, will, uh, we who die in the Lord will rise like he did and live forever in you. May you grant this unto us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.